psychology. It's more than a philosophy, more than a psychology, more than just an ecology, bigger than biology, larger than anthropology, brushes against astrology. That's prophecology. a special guest with us here today, and um, we're honored to have this um, great man of God. Uh, uh, he's here in our city, so I asked him to come on by, to stop on by. Whenever we get together, um, the conversation just deepens and deepens and deepens, and so we enjoy him. He's also a musician. Did you know he's also a musician? Yes, I'm a, yes sir. Did you know? I mean, he, he, he was a music major. Yes. Wow. He was at Morehouse in the, the choir. Mm. At Morehouse, am I right? Yes, absolutely. He was in the choir. Absolutely. But how did he go from music to theology? Mm. See, that's, see, I want to find out about that. Yes, sir. And then uh, pastor of a great progressive church. He's very progressive in his thinking. I don't, I, I don't even know how his church holds. I don't even know how his church even holds him. That's your heart. You know, you get people like that. You know, you, you, you just, just, you know, I'm, I'm sure his congregation probably sits there and their head is tilted most of the time. Lord you know, have mercy. You know, Lord like have mercy. And what, but that's, but see, Bishop McKinley used to say, um, true theology produces an argument in the seat. Mm-hmm. And he says that if the words you preach don't create an argument in the seats that causes one to begin to wrestle with what is in the text or what there is in the book, he says you really haven't preached the gospel. This man of God makes your mind wrestle. He's out of Atlanta, Georgia. And so let's give a hand for Bishop Jonathan Alvarado. Bless you, sir. Bless you. Well, you're no stranger here. You spoke of prophetology. You've been here for um, podcasts. And um, we've been seeing each other around for years. Uh, Tell us where your church is at and what you're doing now. Grace Church International in Atlanta, Georgia. uh, Multi-site congregation. Uh, one church, but we have a couple of campuses and a virtual campus uh, there in the city of Atlanta. By God's grace, for the last 29 years, we've been plowing out the work and toiling in the vineyard there, and God's given us great grace, great opportunity in the city, great access to the hearts of the city. And in a very real way, we've become a prophetic community to lead uh, our city, and uh, the Lord has given us grace to be able to do so uh, in the area of praise and worship and, and, uh, and in leading in uh, some, uh, what some would say, imaginative theological foray. Uh, so, so, uh, <laughs> okay, y'all get your notebooks out. Yeah. You get, get, started. get your notebooks right. out. I got my notebook we, right ooh, here. Well, you deep call the thunder deep at the noise yeah. of that water. So I am, I'm always encouraged uh, to see, and uh, we've had conversation before about the, the, the longevity of our relationship, but then the, the distance 
uh, in watching. I've watched from a distance and have been able to both admire and scratch my head and read some of your works and hear uh, some of your sermonizing and proph um, prophecy and, and the, the, what I believe uh, is very Pentecostal, very uh, charismatic, very uh, renewal in its theological orientation. And I believe that that is the salvation of the church, the trajectory of the church, and moving the church into a realized future. Our church, Grace Church International, embraces and moves forward in some of those avant-garde fields because the complexities of the 21st century will not be solved with theology of the 18th or the 19th century. Mm. We're going to have to... Say that, say, say that again. You, we, we, we have to, you know, it's Friday. Some of these people are just getting over their um, happy hour. Um, <laughs> you got to say this. You have to say that again. You said that... The, the complexities uh -huh. of the 21st century will not be addressed by the theologies of the 19th or the 18th century. I believe that God is calling us into, again, imaginative, creative, constructive, theological, avant-garde fields to give us creative, elohistic ability to be able to think through contemporary problems and quandaries and be able to both prophesy and theologize. And I believe that prophecy is a dimension of theological expression. Mm. Okay. Because when Paul admonishes one to prophesy, he says, prophesy according to the measure of your faith. faith. And your mm -hmm. faith is developed by hearing. So what, the things that we have heard, the things that we have assimilated, the things that we've understood, we prophesy from that vantage point, from that place, from that mm -hmm. particular uh, uh, prism through which we view life. And so I think it's extremely important. And I want to say, you don't need my affirmation, but I just want to say in, in, in affirmation of the consistent and resilient word of prophecy, that you have been faithful to that call to speak it and prophesy, even as the prophets of old, when the land could not bear your words, mm -hmm. wow. you've spoken prophecy in that way, and you've encouraged others to lift up their voices and to prophesy. And I want to say that in going forward, if there is not a prophetic word, the people are lost. You know, and that's, and that's, and the scripture seemed to be with that, because when we see that scripture that we oftentimes quote, and I was very amazed when I looked at it in another translation that says, without a vision, sure. my people perish. Sure. That word vision there, Come on. talk to us about that. Well, the whole idea is without a prophetic utterance, without a, uh, the idea of vision we always think of as the thing that we have written on the plaque on the side of the mm -hmm. church when people come in and say Grace Church International exists to be a spirit-filled, multicultural, worshiping community. But the reality of the matter is uh, the, the, the word vision there speaks to prophetic insight. And in a very real way, it speaks to an eschatological inbreaking of the future kingdom of God into our present. In theology, we call it the tension between the already and the not yet. Yeah, the already and not yet. Okay, I love it. And the prophet lives within that place of tension. And the reason that prophet, prophets are called in a particular way mm -hmm. is because everyone cannot bear to live in that place of tension. Yeah. And, you know, talking about that for a moment, the already and not yet, I'm just looking for that... Um, the scripture there in Proverbs to get the exact uh, location sure. of it. Uh, and for those of you that are at home, I didn't realize that there were so many verses in the scripture or in vision. I'm, I'm probably going to do a whole study here. Sure. In, um, 
Well, the word, the word uh, 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 in the Septuagint is the word prothesis, and is the word setting forth. It's the, it is the idea, the thesis that is set before. So the word vision speaks to that which is going before us, that which is going before us, that which is going before us. It speaks to the uh, prophetic understanding of life and a way of moving through life that depends upon the inbreaking of the word, a discernment of God's intention, God's plan, God's, God's desire, and God's design for our, not only our future, but our present, a revelation of the, of the word of the Lord. And so that Old Testament Hebrew word does uh, uh, imply other things in what we contemporarily mm -hmm. understand as vision. So when I begin to look at that, um, Proverbs 29 and verse 18, and it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Sure. And, I, and, 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 and I always thought that this verse you know, it meant one thing in the first 20 years of my ministry. In the latter 20 years, I said, whoa, this here has a different connotation. Because, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, you think about what is the vision I have for myself, the vision for right. my life. Yes. You know, right. you as a church, you need a vision. No, you as a church need a prophecy. Yes. And um, that word vision there, um, as we look at it, um, calzon or calzon, um, translate vision, but it is um, an, in an ecstatic state or vision, oracle, prophecy, yes. communication. Yes. Uh, one calls vision as title of book of prophecy. Mm -hmm. So without a vision, without a prophecy, the people are perishing. That's right. That's right. And, and, it's, and th that word perishing doesn't mean necessarily dying, but it means without a vision, without an oracle, without a prophecy, without an eschatological inbreaking, the people go without restraint. Mm. There is no restraint. There are no boundaries, there are no parameters. And I don't say boundaries and parameters as limiting. Right. I see them as mile mark or, or road signs mm -hmm. that are taking us somewhere rather than limiting us from going someplace. Wow. The reason many of our lives do not go anyplace because we don't have a prophetic oracle to set vision to keep us from careening off the side of the road. Woo! <laughs> I, I tell you, I love it. See, this is what happens. And see, we don't even know what we're going to talk about today. We just show up, sure. uh, Elder sure. Bratton. You oh see, my we goodness. just show up. Sure. You saw what happened at the dining table here. Just a minute. We should have had really. Should have, yeah, we should have videoed that. Camera one. going. Yeah. We should have had Obed there. That was there. a good conversation. You know, he's got. But see, he's getting ready to set up my whole house up here upstairs where every place is a studio, isn't it? Wow. Every place. So we could say, say start filming. Yeah. And, um, and we could have taken that conversation wow. at the mealtime wow. and had allowed that conversation to say, let's replay mm -hmm. what we were doing while we were chewing on lamb chops. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. And the lamb chops was good, I got to tell the chef. The meal the, was the exquisite. Oh, yes. Yeah. Exquisite. Um, but you could... Find out what we had for a meal, go to Instagram or Facebook and it's posted there under Hey Master Chef. But it's interesting that that um, Hebrew word for parish actually means naked, mm. avenging, or uncovered. Mm. So without a vision or without a prophecy, the people are uncovered. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah, naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means yeah. that there's a nakedness. And like, this pandemic, when we, our very last service, and you were there, the brand, well, all of us was here. We were all there. The clocks was there. And we were at church, 
in March. What was the date? March what? March like, 15th? 16th. March 16th. We were there March 16th. We took everyone in the church. We says, this is going to be your care group leaders. We took about 12 leaders. Mm -hmm. And we had everybody line up behind the individual that they were to report to. Mm. We said, we don't know whether we're going to be back for a while. But I had to make sure the sheepfold was connected. Mm -hmm. Two weeks before, we did a deep cleaning of the church. Sure did. Out of nowhere, we just did a Prophet Show. You remember we went and did a deep cleaning of the church. Yes, and yes, Master wow. Prophet. And why did we do that? <laughs> we still don't know. We still don't know why we just said it's time to clean the church. Let's go. But we know. And everybody, this, this, and see, and what, and we got to get back to understanding what real liturgy is. Right. Right. It's the work of the people. Laos yes. and ergon, the, the word, English word liturgy comes from two Greek words, a compound word, litergeo. Litergeo. Yes, which is a compound Greek word. Laos is the word for people, like the country Laos. Mm -hmm. Laos, Laos is a Greek word. Ergon is the word work. Litergeo, liturgy, is the work of the people in some circles. It's the work on behalf of the people. Mm -hmm. So it implies both priestly function Mm -hmm. and congregational function. Wow. So there's a, there's, a, there's a real sense we do have to get back because we have professionalized ministry to the degree that now the expectation from the congregation is that it's always work on behalf of the people and never work of the people. Wow. And you know, when we were, when we were there, we were cleaning the church. Everybody came in with their part. Sure did. They didn't have the church to to purchase any goods. One brought the bleach, the other one brought the cleaning yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was the cleaning of their people's sanctuary. Work. The, the people, the work. work of the yes, people. Yes. And, and, and it was like their work was the worship. That was us Absolutely. coming together Absolutely. as a body and as Absolutely. a group. It was the work of the people, the work of the people on behalf of, of, of the work, the people working, your worship. But you know, we had this in the old church. Absolutely. Think about the communion table. The mothers would get the white cloth that was mm -hmm. there for the communion mm -hmm. thing. And they wouldn't let just anybody That's right. um, That's right. take those cloths. That's they the would truth. come there and get that. And they would be singing while they were, no mm -hmm. doubt, dressing the communion table. Amen. Then another person said, well, you know, we all were the flowers. We made sure that there was fresh flowers on the altar. All of that, and this was people that they had clubs and auxiliaries where they were pulling their change together, mm -hmm. sure. that mm -hmm. it wasn't put on the church to do it, but this was the people the dressing work. the altar. People's work. The people's work. Do you think that the church has moved a lot away from I that so. because of the way our systems or structures have been set up? We have, we have in my estimation, we have professionalized ministry to the degree that you got to have an MBA to come in and, and uh, teach a Sunday school class or, or, or whatever. I'm just saying that I think that to some degree we have, um, and I think the necessities and complexities of 21st century ministry have required levels of expertise, but I think that one of the things that we have done is we have created a spectator sport. One of the things I've admired about your ministry is how you involve other people 
and include other people. And then even the people that are receiving from the ministry are responding in kind. You're calling them forth. You're prophesying to them. They're engaged in the work of their own deliverance, in the work of their own prophetic fulfillment by reason of this connection to the master prophet. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that we regain a sense of the democratizing work of the spirit within the lives of the people of God and it re retain that essence of what it means to be the work of the people. True liturgy is birthed in collaborative work between priest and people, and the people have to be allowed to engage in that. The spirit speaks here and there. The mm. spirit moves here and there. Yes. The spirit engages here and, and there. there. And you know, when we begin to look at this here at Zoe Ministries is that we've been commanded to raise up an order of prophets. And when I came up in the church, you just, had to, you just had to make sure that when you stood up, that word better be right, it better be God. Because the apostle I was under, they would sit you down and say, that's not God, you're right. in the flesh, whatever. But there's needed to be a place where prophets could practice. Mm. Mm. And this has been a platform, and we've always had a platform here where prophets get to practice, where you begin to see and measure the growth of your prophecy. And now we have prophets that are on the wall from 8 a.m. in the morning until 12 midnight, mm. practicing their gift, right? Because by reason of practice, your gifts become strengthened through your use of it. That's right. And the law of use is whatever you don't use, you lose. Mm. And you see that law in effect, if you put your right arm in a sling for two weeks, what's gonna happen after two weeks? Right. It's not gonna be functional. That's right. That's right. It stops functioning, Muscle right? Muscle atrophy, right? Atrophy. So what happens now? Many of you, your gifts have went to sleep. Wow. Wow. Many of you, you're watching, your gift has went to sleep. You have not been plugged into a place that knows how to plug you into a practice. Mm. And when you're not plugged into a practice, do you not know that most of our pastors, um, somebody did some research, most of, the, most of our, not pastors, most of the presidents of the United States, except for President Obama, came out of small churches? Mm. Wow. And when we small, like church, like 200 members or so, like, you know, like Jimmy Carter was at some church, you know, teaching Sunday school. You know, these were like, sure. And it's interesting that a lot of times people have looked at the large mega church and that has its place. I'm not taking anything away from that. But there's something about the development of leadership that happens in small houses. That's exactly right. What would you say about that? Uh, I, I, think that I think that to a large degree, the megachurch phenomenon has been both blessing and curse in the Western culture. I think that some of the things that have happened in the larger uh, megachurch setting is that while we were growing large, we weren't intentionally growing small. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes for fear of, of parceling out, and, and sometimes people would do that. If you, if, you, if you have a large church and you put people over sects within that church, mm -hmm. then those become different churches themselves. Yeah. People start getting led to do other things. But the fact of the matter... That's very interesting because we just lost a great leader, Dr. Yonggicho. Yes, yes. Which that, but, which that model did That's work right. excellent That's exactly in the right. Korean culture. That's exactly right. But in the black community, right. our community... right. African, I don't know how the Hispanic community, because Hispanic people, because mm -hmm. your background is Hispanic. Mm -hmm. right. 
Because I think Hispanic people are more family and cult-like oriented mm -hmm. than black people. And what I mean is that when we would prophesy to one Spanish person and they come and they got blessed, we would look at the next part. The, by the end of the revival, their whole row that's true. Sure. Will be there. Sure. They're like, you know, sure. it, 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 it was a different culture. Mm -hmm. In our community, we didn't get to lead much in those days. You know, when you think about, we didn't get titles, and we were not VPs of companies, no. CEOs, no. or, you know. So when we came to church, it was a real affirmation. The only place that we had dignity. Come on now. Yes, see, now yeah. see, the black church did a lot That's in its exactly own right. community. That's exactly right. Giving honor to God, to our pastor, to the Saints first lady. and friends. That's right. That's to right. Mother So and So, right. to the chairman of the deacon That's board, exactly Deacon right. Jones, That's to the exactly head of the trustee board. We would like to honor the head of the usher board, Mother Gladys, and all the saints of friends. I'm glad, and then give you. It's That's like right. we affirmed each exactly other right. dignity, which gave the anthropology that was necessary. Absolutely. Well, what would you say about that before I get into this, this well, cell the, group thing? The yeah. whole idea of, of of human uplift and the whole idea of of a place of finding dignity. Carlisle Fielding Stewart talks about that as an empowerment zone. It was a place where every other place that we went was a depleting place. Where every place we went drained us, depleted us, and diminished us. But we came into the house of God, and it was an empowerment zone that said, God's hand is on you, and, and, and you're going to be, you're, you're not boy, you're not Al, you're not uh, mister, uh, you're deacon so-and-so, you're reverend so-and-so, you're pastor so-and-so. And as children, we were affirmed. Those old ladies used to tell us, I see something on you, young right. man. Yes. And whether you've you been cut up in school all week and got bad grades, but you come to church and your mama made you wear a suit and tie, and you can, not like today, people come a little more lax and, 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 and mm -hmm. leisurely today, but then it was an affirmation of our personhood, and it was a communal affirmation. And I think it tied in very, very much with uh, the, the notion that our pastors, no matter what was going on in the community, the pastor was the symbol of communal hope. The pastor was the one that spoke communal hope to everyone in the community and said, you're going to make it through whatever you're going through. And I believe that in that way, the pastor was more prophetic than the pastor ever gave themselves credit for. You know, wow. Because you know what? When we went out into the world of Massa, we were naked. That's exactly. Because we didn't have prophetic vision. Come on now, see. So you had to take the text. Come on. Yeah. Come on. See, you this, brought us to it, man. See, you brought see, us to it. See, we were naked. Yes. But when we came, my pastor put a robe on yes. my back. Put a ring on my finger. This is like, like, like the, the prodigal, prodigal son, son returning. Absolutely. See, and that's vision. So, you know, and then when we came into positions, people were not like looking to be the president of the choir. It might the pastor says, You're going to be the president of the choir. Mm -hmm. or, oh, I was just here. It's just sick. No, you're going to be, we see something on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're going to be the chairman of the deacon board today, and you're going to be the vice chair. Me, I'm, all I was doing just serving in the church. But they called those things which be not as though they were and developed you while they were having you in the, in the position. That is powerful. The prophetic pastor that even though he was prophetic. Absolutely. As Amos said, I was not a prophet. Neither was I the son of a prophet. All I know is the Lord took me. That prophetic me. pastor. That's right. 
I was a tender of the sycamore tree, Amos said, and a keeper of the sheep following my sheep. And the Lord took me. Some of us don't realize that when the pastor, oftentimes the, 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 the principal servant, the supervising priest is speaking into their lives, that person is taking them from where they are and strategically placing them into a destiny that their eye hasn't seen, their ear hasn't heard, that hasn't entered into their heart. But they have to be walking in relationship with the supervising priest, with, with the, the supervising pastor, priest. with the prophet, to be able to be taken and placed. You know, when we begin to look at that, um, Bishop, that's so powerful. Because my mind goes back to Archbishop Roy Brown. Sure. Um, I didn't look to be a bishop. I was just, all I knew is that one day I looked up and he says, okay, we're starting Pilgrim Assembly. And I said, okay, I'm in. Next thing I know, we were at a service. He called us out and says, you're going to be a district elder. What's a district elder? What's a di what district? is it? We all, what's a district elder? We'll find out when we get with Bishop later. Okay, you're going to be over these areas, a district elder. I don't know what happened. The next thing we know, it says, you get ready to be made a bishop. Mm. Bishop, what's a bishop? Now, at that time, I'm only like maybe 30 years old. I was, I was the youngest bishop that was being made at the time. Wow. And so we were like saying, what's a bishop? They said, so this says, come on, we're going to take you down to Renzetti. We're going to take you down. You're going to get your um, garments. What garments? You're going to get measured for this. What is this? The bishop prayed what is going to happen this day. It was like a year or so, a year to a year and a half in advance. And we would learn about what the bishop says, you got to get a ring, get your ring. A ring. What do we need a ring for? I didn't even know the bishops had wore rings. Mm. We did not, we, we, we knew, we, we, it was nothing, something, none of, none of the original eight, we were not looking for it. It wasn't a wow. dream of ours. We were just serving and working in ministry and pastoring our church. Wow. An archbishop saw something in us. And took you. And took me. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took me. Yeah. And the yeah. next thing I know, I was Bishop Jordan. Wow. Because he made me Bishop Jordan. And then when we, um, one of the last appointments, next to the last appointments he made before he passed, we was just sitting in the, inside the um, convocation, and he had the general secretary come and said, we're reading off these names. The archbishop is going to do this at the next convocation. Reading off the names and saying, you're going to now be an archbishop. Mm. We were saying... There's no way. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When I was doing my bachelor's program, I went to Kepler College. So I was doing my research was on East and West astrology. Okay. So I had to go to, I was in India during the time of the bombing. Mm. In India, I, was, I had just left the hotel and the bomb must have went off maybe like 10 minutes later. Mm. At the, very, at the Oberoi Hotel I was staying at, my wow. wife and I. And um, that's another story. But we didn't know the hotel was bombed until we got back to America. And our family was in tears because nobody had known whether we made the out of the hotel safely. And the airlines would not tell them 
whether we had made the flight or not. Mm -hmm. But part of my coursework, we've had to visit some ancient, we had to visit these, um, these line of mystics. And they were, um, um, they look for your thumbprint. And, um, and they're called naughty astrologers. They look for your thumbprint. And they go back with a tradition about 5,000 years. And, and it's funny, I'm sitting here telling you the story. They look for your thumbprint. I went, it says, we found your thumbprint. And so sitting there in front of me, they're sitting there with an interpreter. I'm going to have to see if I can try to find a cassette tape of that thing. Because they could, they, they, you know, I thought, I think when I went, um, I went fasting that day because I wanted to make sure I was covered in the blood, right? Mm -hmm. So I went fasting that day. So they sat there and they looked at me and says, um, just looking at me, they said, the guy says, he was interpreting, he says, you have a, um, your mother's name is Maria, Maddie, Maria, Maria. So my mother's name was Mary. Mm. They says you have, they says you have three brothers, one, that says you have two brothers, one is, one has died. Yes, that's true. Uh, you have five children. And, you know, I'm there, like, listening there. It says you have five children. They says you have two, two daughters and three sons. So, okay. And he's going. He's going, like, rapid fire. He says one of your daughters will get divorced and will remarry. Mm. Right? At that time, um, the, when I went to India, Prophet Naomi, were you uh, married or divorced at that time? What year was that? Um, the year Obama became president. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, I was working on getting my divorce quickly. Getting her divorce, right? So she was, so I was saying, says, 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 what are your daughters will, will, Says Mary will get would would divorce and remarried. And what happened? Well, I wind up getting remarried in two thousand and sixteen. Wow! To the husband she divorced from on the same day they got married. Wow! So I'm there looking at that. They said when I was fifty. Uh, it was 58 or something like 58 or something like that. The guy just looks at me. Now, I'm in just like a regular jumpsuit with some sandals on, right? He says, big hat. <laughs> i never forget. Pope, 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 Pope. And I'm there like, I'm looking at says, I said, this guy is definitely, you know. But they didn't know what religion I was or anything like that. And I, you know, and in the back of my head, I said, this guy is, um, you know, this stuff, it can't be quite, you know, it's what it, you know, it's what it is. He goes on to tell me also about health care. He says, you're going to have, he says, there's going to be something you're going to do that's going to become a cure. Ford America, he went through a lot of things. The prophecy was about 45 minutes long. Wow. 
in the year that he called is the year that Archbishop Brown said, and I didn't get it until they put the miter on my head and it was six inches higher than the normal miter. I said, this is what this man was calling and called out the wow. exact year. Called out something else that's supposed to be majorly happening with health, with us with health care, when I hit the age of 63. Now that's next year. Mm -hmm. Sure. This, uh, and I had to end up doing a paper on this whole thing, but it was in that moment that they would give me vision. They told me about my, at that time, my son, um, I had my three, my three sons, he, he, he went through, he says, he says, oldest son, first son, will follow in your footsteps and preach. I says, I, and, and I spoke back, I says, no, you mean the youngest son? They says, no. Mm. It says, your oldest son will walk in your footsteps and will preach. Now, Joshua at that time was going to Morehouse for law. Hmm. Your second born son will do something in technology. I said, okay, that's about right, because he was in school for audio engineering. Your youngest son will be a major business person. I says, nah, I says, that's ministry. The guru says, no, your oldest son will step in. All of a sudden, about a year or two later, after a year, Joshua came to me and said, I'm changing my major to theology. Um, and then he fell in love with it. So when it comes down to prophecy, um, there's something to be said about <laughs> these different systems in, in, in the prophetic. Wow. Um, there are some stories I could tell you, that I could tell you. We were having a conversation on the way over. Elder Joseph drove me in. Mm -hmm. the, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that Peter recapitulated was that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Mm -hmm. When we read that, oftentimes as Christians, we read, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on Christian flesh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not realizing that the spirit of God has been poured out on all from flesh. Pentecost on all flesh, which may imply saved flesh and unsaved flesh, mm -hmm. Indian, Hindi flesh, yeah. as well as Christian Pentecostal flesh. Yeah. And, that that, and then the next phrase after that in Joel's prophecy was, seems to be the litmus test for where the Spirit is poured out. Where the Spirit is poured out, somebody's going to prophesy. Yeah. Your and, sons and, and your, your daughters, daughters shall prophesy. I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The litmus test, sons and daughters will prophesy. I think that part of the challenge is, is that, and some of the resistance that even people are, we're experiencing now, with people saying, no, that was, demons can tell you the future, and demons can, no, let me <laughs> isn't, that isn't, isn't, amazing. That, isn't that amazing that, that people put anything that seems to be supernatural on the devil? That's exactly right. Yeah. And they want to demystify and demythologize every work of the spirit, as if the spirit operates only in realms that are 
uh, 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 tactile and understandable, cognitively understandable. But the truth of the matter is that the spirit operates more so in the unseen realm than any of us. As a matter of fact, the spirit works in realms where the church is not comfortable. The first time we meet the spirit of the living God in the text of scripture mm -hmm. is in the chaotic upheaval of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chaos. And the earth was without form, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Next phrase. And the spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. Seems like the spirit is more comfortable in the world than the church is. Yeah. And, you know, in that, they went through by timeline. This is why the prophecy mm. was so long. Mm. They went through my timeline all the way, and they told me the year of my death. It says, when, it says that this particular, they gave me a, a year. It says that this year, this will be the point that all will be finished. It says, and then it says, from this point, you will choose between you and God when you will choose to, to begin to depart. Well, they told me about that. They told me about my wife. They told me um, what would take in place. And that's when I began to start understanding the whole thing about that if there's a lifeline, there's a timeline. Mm -hmm. Sure. And see, and Paul begins to kind of hint to this when he says, I'm, I'm, I'm in betwixt here. I'm in between. Right. I don't right. know whether I should go or stay. It's better for me to go, but, but it's better for you if I stay. It's better for you sure. if I stay. So then I would choose to go ahead and stay to continue to do this work that somehow that is almost hinted to the mystic, you get to negotiate your timeline. The old folks I was raised around used to say something. My, my wife's grandmother used to say, when you serve God, you can, when, when you serve the Lord, you can tell him how you want to die. This is this kind of mystical folk wisdom mm -hmm. that comes out of the spirituality of the people. And oftentimes we're so beholden to an evangelical bibliocentric theology yeah. that we've not understood that there's a spirituality that comes up from the people mm. where God engages by God's spirit with the people and the people can discern the work of the Lord, the dealings of God, the trajectory of God, the way God is leading the people. And oftentimes it needs the people need then a prophet to guide them in what they are sensing, what they're feeling, what they're perceiving of God. Because without a vision, vision. the people are naked. They are naked, uncovered, you know, bare. And you know, this is, this begins to give us an, a whole new look about prophecy and prophesying. So, I believe that during this pandemic, the church has never stopped. Right. We never closed for business right. here. Right. Because the church is called out. It's, it's no different than the underground church. We gather where we can gather. Right. And because physical distancing, because social distancing is not the problem, it's physical. The physical distancing seems to be the issue. They just closed one of the Broadway plays, um, Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin. Hmm. They opened up here after 18 months and 
um, I had to send that to some people that we've been dealing with here in the theater. And they said, um, and they were, they were arguing with me. They says, you need to come back into your building. I says, no. Nah. I said, the Spirit of the Lord gave us a date, and it's not this year, and it won't be maybe the end of next year. But the way I'm feeling, maybe 2023. Mm. And they opened up, and several of the cast members. Sure did. After the first night. After the first night. It was the first night. And they had to close down. Mm -hmm. So we're in, a, we're in a, but you know what I'm beginning? This is not the first time there's been a pandemic. It's not the first time the world has said, there's always been pandemics. Uh, but the other thing I'm learning, you don't get to give a pandemic an expiration date. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. you know, think about it. I mean, I mean, we've had people that was, you know, uh, you know, prophesied that it was going to be over in, in 90 days. Right. The Lord says 90 days right. is going to be over. And, you know, and you're looking at 365 days later, you still got the mask on. Right. And this is a problem in the world of prophecy and then the um and then the um prophets that was prophesying about um trump winning that election that sent sure. that whole sure. charismatic evangelical sure track into a tailspin absolutely because one after the other they were just prophesying that this was the word of the lord and then, and then trying to recapitulate that prophecy and saying, okay, he didn't win, but he's going to be reinstated. Oh, listen, they, they, they took it as far as saying that it was stolen, that he did win. Right, and right, so, right. What was But what's dangerous about that is those kinds of prophets speaking into the ears of leaders that begin to believe that and Absolutely. to take that on Absolutely. as a word of the Lord. Absolutely. And that's why I believe there's now a call for there to be um, the prophetic that begins to come forth. And um, there is something, now listen, let me just say this. I think that we have looked more for the spectacular than the supernatural. That's exactly right. And see, the word of the Lord, is when the word of the Lord comes, the word of the Lord comes to, to, to create that, you know, you're inspired, you speak forth that word, but when it starts to come to the sensationalism and the spectacular, mm -hmm. that's where it gets a little, you know, and I've spoken to some of the prophets. I says, don't prophesy the Super Bowl game. I says, God isn't interested. Mm. Mm. It doesn't edify us. It doesn't build us up, you know to get up and say, thus saith the Lord, Pittsburgh is going to win. And then now Pittsburgh lose. Right. You know what I'm saying? What did you, what? Now we're all in trouble because we're all measured by the right. mistakes. Right. Yeah. Right. Now that's, a, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Measured by the mistakes. Mm -hmm. But yet the prophets, when they spoke in scripture, oftentimes did not even get to see their prophetic word in their day. That's exactly right. Because it was That's so exactly right. far. That is exactly right. It was like almost unimaginable. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. 900 years before his birth. Exactly. 900 years. And, and, I've had, and I've had some prophets across the nation come to me and say, um, I've had a couple of people. I think I had um, Bishop Wayne T. not too long ago. Um, he just texted me tonight, Bishop Wayne T. out of Detroit, Michigan. 
He says, because um, he remember when I was down at his church in Inkster like 30 mm -hmm. years ago. He says, Bishop Jordan, he says, your prophecies, they come to pass, but it takes so long. I said, that's the prophetic, that's prophecy. And I think that what happens is, is that people are looking almost for a magic show. Yes. And we live so much in the moment uh, and the instantaneous. Mm -hmm. mm. The moment of the real, real, real Pentecostals, Pentecostalism started in waiting. Say that again, say that again, say that again. I mean, the whole idea of, the, of Pentecostalism and the <laughs> Pentecostal church, the church in general, tarry, wait until. in Jerusalem until what I told you was going to happen happens. happens. So the whole idea of the Christian church began, and Pentecostalism in particular, began in waiting. Some of my saints asked me, we went back into our facilities on the third Sunday of, this, of, this, of September. From the third Sunday of March, same Sunday that you were in, wow. through 18 months, exactly 18 months later, we went back into our campuses wow. uh, in a reduced and limited way. And we're still, of course, doing everything yeah. in our virtual campuses and every, in our virtual campus and everything. But here's the truth. But the principal, I'm going to say this, the principality of your state, your state never closed. Your, your, and see, and, and I think that you've got to look at a lot of things here because, see, it was right down. COVID started right down the block from our church. What you say? Yeah, because it hit in um, Westchester, and then the next place it hit was Columbia University. Wow. You can walk from our church to Columbia University. Mm. When it hit New York, you had stench in the street from the dead bodies that was oh, in the trucks. Well, the, and population densities, all sorts of, 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 of close proximity and the way that the, the, the lifestyle, the way that people live in the, in the city, particularly in a mega, mega city with nine million yeah. people trafficking through every day, like New York, is mm -hmm. going to have different dynamics. But the thing that I've come to discover when people, over the course of these 18 months, people have asked me, when, Bishop, when, Bishop, when? When are we going to baptize? When are we going to uh, come to the table of Eucharist together? When are we going to come back mm -hmm. together in gathered community? And I say, when the ethos of waiting has been thoroughly worked within us. The ethos of waiting. waiting. You know, uh, because we uh, want so much for stuff to ha We have even... We have featured a spirituality of instantaneous gratification that if it doesn't happen in the moment, we perceive it's not God. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, is that process always is the penultimate to prophecy. Prophecy is always followed by process. When one receives prophecy, one then goes through process before yes. there's prophetic fulfillment. And part of the challenge in the contemporary church is that we too often expect God not to move in the miraculous, but to move in the instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And so we don't wait on the Lord and the enemy can send the counterfeit in the right now and we'll jump on that rather than wait until the word settles until we have lived fully into it, until we have been stripped of flesh and, and personal ambition and selfish desire, until we can walk in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. The other thing in our culture is, and particularly in, in, in because of our linear nature and not living life in a very circular nature, mm. 
we say, say we, more about that. Say more. This well, is this is very important. In say, other cultures, you get this. Life is appraised in a circular nature. Circles have no discernible beginning or end. Good. The linear nature of life of Western ideology has a beginning point and an ending point, and we feel like we got to get everything we're gonna get done in between those two points. Yeah. Prophecy included. And so we oftentimes wow. manufacture fulfillment when God didn't intend to fulfill a word that was given in one life cycle until two or three life cycles down the road. For example, in the text of Scripture, Joseph's brothers throw him in the pit. Mm -hmm. They're about to kill him. Mm -hmm. Until looking over the horizon, they see the Ishmaelite camel traders mm -hmm. coming. We'll sell him to them. Ishmaelites are the great-grandchildren of Abram's child Ishmael that he had with Hagar, his wife's servant. Yes. The thing that most of us said was a mistake in Abraham's life mm -hmm. came back to be the salvation of Israel. <laughs> Not in the same day, in the same week, month, or year, or even same generation. Three generations later. later. What looked like a mistake in Abraham mm. became a blessing for Joseph. It became Joseph's deliverance. It became, and the deliverance of Israel. Of all of Israel. That's good. Because they would have starved to death. Absolutely. Had Joseph not been standing next to Pharaoh, giving him prophetic insight, seven years of famine, yes. seven years of plenty, seven followed by seven, seven years, years of famine, of and these are the instructions that you must do in the first seven years to survive the last. Had he not been there, Mm. All of Israel would have perished. All of Egypt would have perished. The whole Mesopotamian region would have perished. What we would have seen as an Abrahamic mistake Decay. turned out to be Israel's deliverance because every word in him is yes. And amen. Every word that goes out will not return unto him void. Yes. But it will accomplish. That would have been sent out to do. And so this is great. Well, Bishop, I'm so grateful for you being here today. And yes. thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. To keep in touch with Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan, go to www.bishopjordan.com and follow him on all social media platforms. To get more information about the Prophetology Conference and or more special events, go to www.zoeministries.com or call 888-831-0434. Thank you and stay blessed.